This is the Endurance Church Podcast with Pastor Anthony Bass. At Endurance Church, our goal is to live well and finish strong by becoming faithful disciples of Christ. We do this through loving, disciplined, Bible-based teaching, encouragement, and care. For more information about our ministry, head to endurancechurch.org. And now, today's message. I don't know if you found this out in life, but sometimes we have expectations, but God doesn't work with our expectations. Like, He's not doing that thing. He's not going to do it the way we want it to be done. He's going to do it His way, and we've got to trust Him with the way He does it. And that's a challenge. Why? Because we see the state of the world, and it looks like there is no control. Sometimes it looks like those people who are not good people or bad people are in control and power and they, they have it made. And we look at the good people, the people are trying to trust God, the people are trying to do the right thing. It looks like they have it the worst. All this is communicated in the scriptures. And today I'm not going to give you a theology because this isn't a theological answer. Today I'm going to give you all emotion. Now I'm not going to shout and scream, but I may cry. I may wail. I may fall down on the ground and say, help me, Lord. Because we're coming out of the Psalms. And when you go through the Bible, sometimes people try to look at the book of Psalms. It's the heart, the emotions of an individual who loves God. Most people think that David wrote all the, all the songs. Actually, he only wrote 50% of them. He gets the credit. I love David. I'm not trying to talk anything negative about David. But he, he wrote 50% of the Psalms, so he gets credit for them. And today we're going to talk about a song given by David. But understand, I can't give you a theology based upon the Psalms. I can't give you something systematic that in your brain you can put in a particular area and say, I got that. I got this principle. And I can apply it to my life and it'll work. This is one of those things. This Psalm is one where it seems like, man, this guy may not necessarily be making sense. But he is expressing his emotions. David was a man after God's own heart. David was a man willing to find out what God's heart was on a situation, and he would do it. If you look at David's decisions, oftentimes he asked the priest or the prophet, what is it that God wants to do? Sometimes we make decisions, we say, you know what, this must be God without asking him. What is it that God is trying to do? Sometimes God's ways are clear. And it's easy to walk in them. But sometimes there's a fog and we have to trust him for every single step. But God is not confused or lost. He's completely clear on your direction. But the challenge is sometimes we we get off God's path, we do it our way, and we expect God to keep moving In the path we're going on, even though it's taking us away from his intended purpose and plan for our lives. We've talked this month about a heart of gold, and I tried to articulate a heart of gold is a pure heart. A heart that has been purified. Lord. (laughs) Yes, sir, I'll I'll get it in a minute. (laughs) It's a heart that has been purified by either pleasure or pain. I see it. Dude, you can go ahead and get it if you want to. It's okay. It's not like we're on TV or anything. We can edit it out from the TV. <laughs> a pure heart. I've been uh, communicating a particular model that I want us to understand. We talk about the condition of the human soul. 
This is essential for you to understand when I say heart, what I mean. Oftentimes throughout theology, we say heart or a human being, we call him a tripartite being. We see he has a, a body and we see he has a what? Soul and a what? And we try to say these make up a human being. This is what constitute a human being. But Dallas Willard, the scholar, the theologian, uh, the renewal theologian, actually came up with this concept based upon what the scriptures say a heart is. And he says here, the center of the, the human is the heart and will. He tries to make this point, and you have to get this. This is the fourth time I've communicated this, because I want you to get this and understand it. That your heart and will scripturally are synonymous. That when you will to do something, the expression of your choices conveys the condition of your heart. Go back to the Old Testament, and God always told Israel to choose. Choose. Choose this day who you will serve. Choose life, not death. Choose to do the right thing. And when they did not choose to do it God's way, it revealed a corrupted heart. Now, you have to understand, evil is simply this. Evil is not necessarily wickedness. Wickedness is something different than evil. Evil, even though we make Darth Vader and the Joker and Cobra Commander to be evil, Megatron is evil, but we are evil if we don't do God's will. Anything opposed to God's will is evil. God tells me to go to the right and then go and I go to the left. I am evil in that instance. I'm not doing what God wants me to do. And when I will to do something contrary to God, it reveals the condition of my heart. My life's purpose and life's goal is to surrender my will to God's will. God's will is perfect. But my will isn't always in conform or conformed or aligned with God's will. So what God had to do is he had to give us a new will or a new heart. We have to be saved. And once we are saved, then begins the process of sanctification, lining up all these areas of our life with God's word. Oh, they got me. We have to line up our mind with God's word. The Bible tells me. He renewed in the what? Spirit of your mind. We have to line up our body. Paul tells us he buffets his body. He brings it under subjugation so that he won't be disqualified. Our social interaction, our relationship. Don't you understand that bad company corrupts good character? It will. The people who you associate with will determine your character. If you hang around people who have an overt, wicked, evil, corrupt character, they're not willing to surrender to God in time, you will act just like them. Your will will be exactly like their will. It's interesting, once people get saved, if you, I was once a youth pastor, and when I was a youth pastor, I knew how to change people's lives. That once they got saved, I said, okay, the next thing you do is change your friends. If I can get them away from their friends and into a group of new friends, I knew I had them. Now we have small group, we have parties, we have all these different activities because we wanted their attributes to change. We wanted their heart to change, their disposition, their thoughts. Bad company corrupts good character. 
And lastly, the word soul in Greek means house. This is all of you. You want to know who you are, what your soul is. It's, it's all of you. It's all these things in alignment with, hopefully, your spirit. But you can get saved and your mind could be off. I could be right with God and I have the will to do it. But if my mind isn't lining up with God's word, I'll stray. Same with my body, my social interactions. And lastly, it'll affect my soul. And we last time I talk about this this month, but believe me, I'll bring this paradigm back up again. I got a quote. I'm going to pray and we'll jump into the text. I got a quote from an unknown author. It says, when love is lost, do not bow your head in sadness. Instead, keep your head up high and gaze into heaven. For that is where your broken heart has been sent to heal. Oh, very romantic. Right? But brokenness is nothing to laugh about, to be honest. One of my favorite books of all time, and I recommend it over and over. It's a book called A Tale of Three Kings. If you know me, I probably already recommended that book to you at least three times. The book is about a study of brokenness. You have to understand King David, before he became king, went through a process of being broken. King David was anointed king, right? But Saul was still on the throne. And King David constantly went through this task of trying to trust God. Remember, Saul fell into his hands twice. Remember that? He could, ki- he could have killed Saul two times, but he did not. And because he did not respond and kill Saul, he actually went through, quote, quote, the meat grinder more. More trials, more troubles, just because he would not kill God's anointed. But he knew that if he tried to, in a sense, form his destiny with his own strength, he would not end up where God wanted him to be. So he had to trust God. He had Saul in his hands. Saul was relieving himself in a cave, and he basically just cut off a hem of his garment. But he was convicted when he did that because he said, I feel guilty and convicted because I touched God's anointed. He had an opportunity, according to his men, to take what God had promised him, but not receive it. He had an opportunity to make it happen instead of trusting God to make it happen. God, did he not speak and say, this is the king of Israel? And he could have, in a sense, helped himself out by kicking Saul out, becoming king. But he was a man after God's heart. And he understood something very significant that most people don't get about this wall with God. That God very much wants and needs men and women who are broken. God needs your brokenness. See, when your heart is, in a sense, hardened, you won't line your heart up with God's heart. You'll do it your way. It's like Burger King. Do they still have that promotion? Have it? You're, you know that too. It's not, that's not life. The fundamental essence of life is God's will, not my will. And people get confused. Because they, they, they're brought to Christ, we're told to follow him, and they say, okay, God, Jesus, I'm following you, but go over here, Jesus, because I want to go over here. Oh, Jesus, I want this. And Jesus is like, follow me. 
Oh, no, no, but you I want to go over here now. This is what I want. And Jesus is like, follow me. And over time, you'll learn if you trust him that his way is perfect. But it may not necessarily be the way you want. And will you continue to trust him? Because the more you follow in his footsteps, the more you'll look like him. Do you trust him? Week one, we talked about praying to God for the right motivations and a pure heart. Week two, we talked about trusting God with our heart and he will care for our souls. Week three, we talked about yielding to God's security measures for our heart. And this is the last week of this sermon series. Week four, keep a broken heart and a contrite spirit. Let's pray. Father, God, I ask you with the brief time I have that you speak through me. Lord God, I ask you, Lord God, that my words line up with yours and I say what you want me to say. And people hear you being glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. We can oftentimes be divided. And it's problematic when you're divided. I remember, I'm always going to quote some sports team or something like that because it's really, that's basically all I know. I don't really know much about anything else. But I remember a long time ago, the Lakers, oh, The Lakers had Shaquille O'Neal, Kobe Bryant, and Carl Malone. I mean, I was like, who can beat this team, right? They have three of the top 50 greatest players that ever played the game. And in the championship, they played against the Detroit Pistons. And I don't even know when that team of Detroit had one single Hall of Famer. Chauncey Billups, did anybody even know Chauncey? See, you don't even know Chauncey. Rasheed Wallace, nobody... No, Rip Hamilton, no, you don't even know these guys. But you may know Shaquille O'Neal, even if you don't like basketball. You may know or have heard of Kobe Bryant, and possibly you've heard of Carl Malone. But these were three of the top 50 players of all time. But once they got to, De- to Detroit in the championship, their talent couldn't help them win. Why? Because Detroit was on one accord. They were unified. They trusted each other. And game after game, the Lakers were getting more frustrated and more frustrated. Because it doesn't matter about your gifting or talents in this, in this contest. What matters is, as a team, you're on the same page. You're focused. The same is true in marriage, in churches, in your relationship with God. If you're on a different page than God, there will be constant frustration how can two walk together unless they how can it happen it cannot happen is the point a house divided will what every single time but if your heart is on one page that was dramatic effect and God's heart is on another page there's no way God's will can be accomplished in your life That's why here at Endurance Church, we tell you to pray and fast and open up your Bible so that you can hear God for yourself and surrender to his will. And that's why we worship, because worshiping is simply bowing your will to the will of God. God has a plan for your life. And because he has a plan, you have to trust him with that plan. And that plan is ultimately, eternally what's best for you. I'm going to jump into some stuff and jump out, but it's some history real quick. 
around the year 1900 in China, there was something called the Boxer Rebellion. Does anybody remember the Boxer Rebellion? No one was around during that time, but there were a couple people who know about it. (laughs) Nevertheless, during that time, the church and missionaries had penetrated China to a very successful degree. China was almost, in lack of a better term, in most scholars' opinions, going to be a Christian country. But once the Boxer Rebellion happened, almost all of the missionaries in China were obliterated. There was a movement to get rid of foreigners out of China. But one of the reasons why they were so successful is that the preachers and pastors in China taught that when you did what God said, when you trusted God, it will work out exactly the way you want it. That when you come to God and you give your life to him, everything will go exactly the way you want. And when the Boxer Rebellion came, their theology was put to the test. And there was a great exodus of Christianity in China. People left the faith. Because they were like, well, this faith doesn't work. Because I came to God, I trusted him, but there was persecution. There shouldn't be persecution about coming to God because that's not what I was taught. I was taught when I come to God, things go the way I want them to go. And so the numbers which were staggering became minuscule. But something interesting happened. All the while, while there were a group of preachers that were preaching, man, a group of missionaries who were preaching, if you trust God and do what God says, everything will go the way you want. Persecution came, that movement wiped out. But there was another group of people who were preaching something diametrically opposed to that. They're like, Christianity is a straight and narrow path. The righteous find trouble and trials. That you have to pick up your cross daily, every single day. Pick up your cross and follow Jesus. And what happened was an underground movement started. And what they thought at one time was a big movement before the Boxer Rebellion became so small in comparison to what happened and is happening in China right now. The movement that which was once very small now floods an entire country. It's called the underground church. And they've persecuted. They've been persecuted. They've persevered. And they've endured. And now they are one of the most beautiful, one of the strongest, one of the best representatives of Christianity today on this planet. But they said a long time ago, God, not my will, but your will be done. Pastors had the courage to preach the scriptures as it was communicated, not to make people feel good, but to tell them the truth. And let people decide what they wanted to do with the truth. They had to trust God. The reason why I say that today is because we're going to look at a scripture that seems like it says, if you do it God's way, it'll work out every single time the way you want. But look deeper. God loves you. He has a plan for your life. But his plan, first and foremost, constitutes the transformation and purification of your heart. Open your Bibles to Psalms 34. We're going to look at verse 15 through 22. I remember 
I had a big tragedy. My, I talk about this often. My ex-wife left me. And I was at that time a single father. I had my own apartment. And I got to see my kids on the weekend only. And I remember thinking, how on earth did I get here? God, I thought I did everything you asked me to do. God, you said go right. I went right. You said go left. I went left. You said go to Bosnia, to Eastern Europe, sleep outside on the ground. And you said, I'd be blessed. And I went. I obeyed. And then this catastrophe happened. But during the midst of the storm, I heard God say this one thing. Be faithful. Now I'm a broken man. A better man. And I'm like, is this my faith? And all of a sudden, the Lord brought this young lady into my life. Thank you, Lord. Her name was Dawn. I call her Dawn. You may call her Dawn Negro, but I call her Dawn. She was known as Sunshine. I didn't even know how to cook for myself. My kids, when they came over during the weekend, were eating horrible stuff. It was all like microwave and hot dogs. We had pig in the morning, pig for breakfast, and pig for dinner because I didn't know how to cook anything else. Macaroni, I throw it on there. <laughs> Green beans. That's the vegetable I got because you just put it in there and it, you know, it's done, right? <laughs> glory greens. I'm getting too southern, I know, but I had some glory greens. I threw vinegar on there and they ate them. Had some hot dog. I mean, this is me. I'm trying to survive. I'm like, I can't do this. I need help, God. And then my wife came in. Well, this young lady came in. I was a broken man. I'm not, stick with me here. I'm going somewhere. I was so broken. And she met me when I was what? Broken. And she came alongside me and helped along with the Holy Spirit to mend my broken heart. To build me up. And she helped me. And eventually we got married. At that time I had been fired from my job. Not because of anything I did. But what happened to me. I couldn't find the job. I'm leaving my kids. Somebody has stolen money from me. I was, I was trying to start a non-profit to help the children. And I'm like, why, Lord? But she's right there helping. I know God must be with me because he wouldn't have sent her, right? I know he must have a plan for my life because he wouldn't have sent her. This is the man she met. A broken man. But over time, I kind of got my act together, for lack of a better term. I started standing up again. I was strong. And after we've been married a couple years, she's like... You're not the same man I married. This is where I was going the whole time. <laughs> this is deep. She married this man who was broken. Who she knew was broken. But I got that thing together. I'm speaking with confidence now. Bravado. I don't need help like I needed before. I know how to cook my own food. I can do the dishes, I can do the laundry. Where is the man I married? 
What happened? I was the same man. Except for at that time, my heart had changed, had become more callous. And then this time, when she's trying to fear who in the world I am, I'm not the same man that every day was crying out to God for help. I was this man now who said, I got this. I can trust God. And I wasn't broken in my own mind. We're all broken. That's the fact. Sometimes we recognize it, other times we don't. But the Bible says, we're going to talk about that God is near the brokenhearted. But there's something in this scripture you got to see in the next line that is so powerful, it's amazing. Does everybody have their Bible open to Psalms 34? It says, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. Remember, I'm not here to speak to you about systematic theology. This is King David. Now what happened at this point, he had just been saved from Amalekite. This is the Philistine king. Now, how he got saved was, he went to the Philistines for help. Why did he go to the Philistines for help? Because Saul was after him. He realized, he thought, he stopped trusting God. So he said, I need to get out of Israel. Because Saul's going to kill me. So he hopped out of Israel into the Philistinian, I know that's not a word, I just try to make it sound good, territory. And when he's in Philistine, he goes to the king to try to get help. But the king is like, wait a minute, David. Is this not the David who they sing songs about? Saul has killed his thousands and David is tens of thousands. And David got afraid because the king knew who this person was. And the king was about to what? Kill David. So what David did is he did something that is always weird when you're reading the scriptures. He acted mad. He started scratching against the door and drooling, slobbers coming out of his mouth and mucus. And, and the king's like, what in the world did you send this man to me? This guy's crazy. Get him out of my sight. So David, finally after he's going, acting crazy, gets out the door. And remember, like, unusual suspect? Remember that? You know how it ended? We started walking straight after he was, like, all beat up. David starts walking away. Then he gets away. No one's looking at him. He's like, thank you, Lord. You saved me. You've delivered me. You're a good God. And that's the background to this right here. He's like, God is on the, he's thinking about the righteous. He cares about the rights. Man, I slipped. I made a mistake. I stopped trusting God. But he's still there for me. He didn't give up on me. And it says in 16, The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. To cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. God is opposed to the wicked. He knows this. Period. End of sentence. David at this time has been anointed to be king and he's trusting the process. But it doesn't feel good. You want a king, Israel, that is a broken man, not a king who's self-reliant. You want a king who's dependent on God and not dependent on his own intellect, his abilities, his gifts. Because if you have a king or a ruler who is broken, humble, and meek, he or she is less likely to abuse those people who are under them. But if you have a king or a leader who is proud, arrogant, shows bravado, is never wrong, is always right. 
that person in time will be abusive. And this is the point he's trying to make. 17, the righteous cry out and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. Now, I notice for you Bible scholars a repetition here of the term cry out. He hears their cry. Once again, the righteous cry out. David was crying out to God for help. Have you noticed your prayers oftentimes are more effective with what? Tears. I don't know about you. But I'm a praying man when the tears come. Now, I love to say I'm more articulate. I'm not. When I'm strong and I'm praying, this is what I sound like. Father God, I need thee now to move for me. Oh, God, Father of hosts. This is how I pray when everything's going good. But you know how I pray when everything's real bad? This is the fetal position. And immediately God, pow, is moving. When I cry out to God, He hears my prayer. But what does it take for us to get there? Brokenness. This is what's going on. Sometimes God adjusts our heart through pleasure. I've said it before. God, we want to, we want to be the present of the school. I've been praying. I've spoken to him. I've stomped around the chair of the president. I've claimed it. I've named it. I've done all those things, God. It's mine. And God moves. And we're the president. And we're like, thank you, Lord. I'll follow you all the days of my life. You're so good. But other times, it takes persecution, pain. It takes us being in a fetal position with a broken heart, crying out, He knows what we're saying. <laughs> Bam. And during that time of crying and weeping, he changes our heart. And we respond in the midst of that storm saying, God, whatever you want, I'll do it. Verse 18, just so you know, I'm not making this up. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart. This is the part I've been trying to get to the whole time. God is near the broken heart. Now, what's awesome about this is it's not saying God, in a sense, is only near the Jewish people who have a broken heart. Here, it says, the Lord is near to those, there's all those, everyone on the planet whose heart is broken. Now, this is the point you got to get. He says, near. I'm going to contrast that with the next verse to get to the point. The next, well, the next line says, and save that such that have all. 
A contrite. You believe me? Oh, it's at the bottom of the slide. Can't see it. All right, if you have a Bible, you can look at it for yourself. This, how could that possibly? I'm Lord. I need you, God, to make this point. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and save as such and have a, and right here it says, contrite spirit. Now, this is the point. He saves the person with a contrite spirit, but he's only near to the person with a broken heart. Now, you have to contrast being broken with being contrite. And I looked up the word contrite because if you don't look it up, you'll miss what he's trying to really say. Being broken is easy. I remember when I was a little kid and I was in a fight with a boy and the boy was talking trash. I was in the middle of playing, uh, what, dodgeball with tennis balls, and I was lighting them up. And he got mad and said, I'll fight you now. And I was like, okay. okay. So I jumped over the fence. I was like, wow, hit him, broke my hand, snapped it. Thankfully, I hit him. This is, this is sin, so none of this is good. Hard enough where he cried and ran off, but my hand was snapped. It wouldn't function. In order for it to heal, it needed help. God is near the broken. He's available to heal the broken person. The broken person is one who's dependent on God to function. God is near you if you're broken. That's why you go through the things you go through sometimes because God is trying to break. Or allow to be broken, let me say that. Because when you're broken, you're dependent on Him. But check this out. The contrite heart, which is not on this slide here, but it's on the slide there. Contrite means something different. Now, if you're young, you might want to cover your ears by what I'm about to say, but nevertheless, it's true. There's a scripture in Leviticus that says, a man who has crushed testicles cannot enter the temple of the Lord. All right? Work with me now. The reason why I said it is because in the Old Testament, Physical wholeness was symbolic of moral wholeness and moral purity. So for you to be physically whole, it was a symbol of what God really wanted from us all, to be morally whole. But the problem with a man, a priest who has crushed testicles is he could not reproduce. So when he went to become a priest or worship God, all his experiences died or ended with him. There was nothing to be passed on. Does that make sense? Because once you're whole in that area, then you could have more kids. So the point of the Levitical priesthood right here in the crushed testicles was a man who can't pass on the teachings and worship of God is not really useful to God. In temple worship. Alright. But this word here. Contrite spirit. Is on the other side of the door. God saves the person who has a contrite spirit. Why? Because a contrite spirit is a spirit that no longer functions. It doesn't work. It can't reproduce. It dies with that person. And. If God is going to use you, your spirit has to die. 
has to be broken and crushed. And you have to be given a new spirit, born again, and get God's spirit. And so that you could pass that on to the next generation, to the next generation. The person who has a contrite spirit or a non-functioning spirit or a dead spirit is the one whom God saves. God, yes, is allowing you to go through the process of being broken. But ultimately, if you don't know him, he's trying to allow your will to be slayed. So that he can give you a new will, a new heart. And so that your life now will reflect his life. To the glory of God. Next point. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but in contrast to that, the Lord delivers him or her out of them all. This is why I gave that long caveat at the very beginning. Because looking at this here, you would think what? Okay. Every single thing I go through, I'm going to come out on the upper hand every time in this life. Every single thing I go through, it's going to work out just the way I want it to in this life. But the tenses here don't mean that. It's objectively true, he's saying, that ultimately the one who is righteous wins because God delivers him. But there's no guarantee or promise that it happens in this life every time. That's the point that changed my theology. The point was, God, I've been praying for this to happen. And I know your word is true. I've been praying and praying, but it hasn't happened. Lord, it looks like it's not going to happen. But God, you keep telling me it's going to happen. How? Lord, it's past the time for the thing I've been asking for to happen. <laughs> Lord, it's, it's years past what I've been asking to happen. But you keep telling me it's going to happen. What are you talking about, God? There's a scripture in Hebrews that says there were a group of people who received all these great promises in their lifetime. They're dead, received back to life. They, they in a sense, won over kingdoms. But it says around verse 4, but there was another group of people that in their lifetime, they did not receive the promise. And they died without receiving it. But they considered God still faithful. Putting a hope in a better resurrection. Meaning, some gifts we get, some promises we get from God in this life. But, some of them we don't get until eternity. The question is, do you trust Him? It doesn't give you any room to give up. It says, keep trusting Him. God, you said everything was going to be good with my family. And my child died. Lord, how is that promise possibly going to happen? God says, keep trusting me. Keep trusting him. Don't ever stop trusting him. I don't care how hard it gets. And that's what's being communicated here. David thinks at this point in his life, Saul's going to kill me. But he was promised to be the king. He doesn't know how it's going to happen. But he knows God is faithful. He's learned that by experience. He's resolved to trust God regardless of the consequences. The Lord delivers him out of them all. He guards all his bones. Not one of them is broken. 
He's like, you know what? Nothing's going to happen to me. I'm going to be okay. I'm going to go through life and not one single bone will be broken. Now, as I said before, if you think this is all something that has to happen in this life, you know that doesn't make sense. So you start saying the scriptures are a metaphor. You start saying they're symbolic. But if you stick to God's word as it is conveyed, if you don't run from the truth of God's word, then you'll begin to see what is being communicated. There is a time where there will be no more tears, no more struggle, no more pain. It may not come right now, but do you still love God? What if he holds back some of his promises until the resurrection? Is he still a good God? Is he still faithful? Now what happens when someone approaches you and you've been declaring the promises of God over your life? And it's past the time for it to happen. Do you get disappointed or discouraged? Do you give up? Or do you say, I know it seems like this can't happen. But God is faithful. There'll be a day where we're going to be in heaven. It's going to happen. I always say, currently I am 42 years old. I know I don't look like it. But I am. My body doesn't respond the way it used to respond. I'm getting older. It's okay. Because what's happening now, happening around age 40 is, my desire started becoming more heavenly. And I actually want to see Jesus. Do I care about my family? Oh, I love my family. Like Paul said, I'm in betwixt. I like when he says that. He says, you know what? It's better for me to be here with you now for your sake. Oh, but I want to be with Jesus. Paul wasn't crazy. He was being honest. If you have this mentality, it's better with Jesus. It's better in heaven. I'm going to tell you, your burden will become lighter and lighter. You sound so defeatist, Pastor. I'm not defeatist. It may happen to you now. God may answer your prayer right now. But if he delays, it doesn't mean it's denied. He's faithful to the end. He's faithful beyond your wildest expectations. You have to allow the process to change you, to crush you, to give you a new heart. David, remember at one time, danced in front of the ark. He danced so much that what happened, his clothes fell off. I'm telling you, I I'm, I'm still struggling with that. I'm, in, I'm an embarrassed guy. Like, the comedies where the people get embarrassed, I walk out the room. Like, if I see, like, The Office, I, I can't take it. When, when someone is embarrassed, I don't like that comedy. I get, oh, I'm embarrassed for you. I'm so embarrassed. I'm ashamed. David said, I will make myself little in my own eyes for God. He says, I'll intentionally embarrass myself for the Lord. Don't you know once you put yourself out there for God, it cements your relationship with him. Another story. I got a lot of them. I was out of the Vikings for one week. I was downtown Minneapolis. I don't even know the name of the street. But I was downtown preaching. I think where the movie theater is now is on that street, whatever that is, a Hennepin. And I'm on the street talking about Jesus. Been gone for a week. I didn't leave the state. 
I stayed with a little church and I'm preaching about Jesus every Friday night. And I'm downtown telling people, trying to win souls. And all of a sudden, I see the entire Vikings offensive team run to the window. Like, like this. <laughs> Make sure you get, let me do that again. because uh... They are running to the window and they all look at me and they're like... Look at Bass! I'm hearing him through the window. He's crazy. And I see him all. <laughs> I remember their faces. They're etched in the back of my brain. And I made the decision at that moment. I'm going to stand for Jesus. I saw him. I'm like, turned around. Jesus, 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 Jesus. If you want to know what gave me this zeal for the Lord. I've constantly put myself out there for Jesus. I've stood for him. There's nobody who I'm afraid now of, of, of declaring Jesus in front of. There's nobody left for me to be embarrassed about. <laughs> I've done it all. And now I have no reservations about telling anybody about Jesus Christ. That feeling is gone out of my body. So if you want somebody to know about Jesus, and you're afraid to tell them, do it. I mean, it'll help you. But you can also call me. I'll embarrass you for us. <laughs> I'll jump out there for you. You go, oh, Pastor, please stop. And I'll do it. And then once it's over, you're like, okay, I get it. And then you'll do it the next time. Trust the Lord until the end. He's worthy to be trusted. 21, it says, Eva shall slay the wicked, meaning when you do evil or do that which is opposed to God's will, the, the wicked person will be killed, die. That's what will be their end. But it says, and those who hate the righteous shall be condemned. It's like everybody opposed to God's people, it's, it's going to end. There's no eternal future for them. There's no perpetual peace. There's judgment. The Lord redeemed the soul of his servants, and none of those who trust in him shall be condemned. Got a couple points, and we're done. What do you need to know? God is intimately engaged in the lives of those who have a broken and contrite spirit. A broken and contrite spirit. God is with you. God is with you. Sometimes it gets frustrating, but sometimes there are times of peace. It's not always that you're in the valley. Sometimes you're on the mountaintop. But then don't be <laughs> surprised when you find yourself going down another mountain and in another valley. It's okay. You're not doing anything wrong. Remain faithful whether you're in the valley or on the mountaintop. Watch your thoughts. Only put things in there that you think will help you trust the Lord. Because trusting him, whether you're on the mountain or in the valley, is what this thing's about. Because if you trust him, then you can love him. And when you love him, you obey him. Do you love him today? God's with you. He's close. Whether you're broken or finally get to the point where you're like, I'm willing to give it all to you. I surrender. Next point. What? Why do you need to know it? So that you'll understand the perils of hard-heartedness. And that's the contrast of a pure heart, a hard heart. 
A hard heart is a tough thing to deal with. You see it in people. Sometimes you're trying to discern what is it that's just off about. I don't know what it is. It's hard-heartedness. And hard-heartedness basically is this. You don't have this attitude all the time. I can do it myself. But in reality, that's what you're saying. I can get it done. I don't need God. Or I'm not going to get hurt by God again. I trusted him last time. Oh, I remember when I was trying to believe God for this healing. I was standing on his word. Not only me, but the whole church We were believing God for healing. And the healing did not come. I walked away from that scenario disappointed and discouraged because I was told if I have faith, it'll happen every single time. Every time. I wasn't the person who's going to mince words. I'm like, either it's going to happen or it's not. Pastor, are you saying it's going to happen? He said it's going to happen? Well, okay. Not only did I think I had faith, but I thought the whole church had it. Are you telling me not one person had faith to make this healing happen? I was calling people all over the country. Let the healing come. And the healing didn't come. I walked away disappointed, discouraged. And immediately I fell into another situation where I needed to trust God. And I was like, wait a minute, Lord. I already trusted you. And it didn't happen. I don't know. What happened was I was being challenged. My trust level was on the line. God said no to the healing. But he was saying, trust him for this other scenario. If I wouldn't trust him, I'd miss out on what God wanted for me. God was faithful, but I had to get to the point where I knew him for myself. That only happens when you really, genuinely trust him. You hang in there. You believe in his goodness, despite the outcome. Next point, what do you need to do? Keep a broken heart and a contrite spirit. I don't know how it is that you need to do it. But for me, I have to spend time with God regularly. I have to do my little, I I got it, I don't have my, oh yes. So I see some of you on the U version now, and I I try to like all your stuff to encourage you to keep going. But you're on you version and you're reading your Bible. And you're like, yes, yes, yes. I'm like, good job. I'm so proud of you. You're meditating on the scripture. I saw somebody, I know who it was. It was, they were home sick. And they sit home and they watched all the visual Bible. And I was like, that sounds like you were in heaven. But they were sick, so obviously they weren't in heaven. But nevertheless, they got to sit down and watch the whole Bible all day. What's happened is you're, you're declaring and you're proving, you're showing that you are dependent upon God. And that's where you get your help from. As soon as you say, I don't need to pray today. I don't need God's answer. I can do it myself. Callousness starts to set in. And if callousness starts to set in over a course of time, hard hardness becomes the norm. And then it becomes hard to hear your conscience. And then at that time, it's very difficult to have a relationship with God. I'm not, I'm not that pastor that talks about reprobate mind. I remember being in church and everything was a reprobate mind. Oh, Yo, you got a reprobate mind. I'm not talking about that. I'm saying in order to be close with God, your heart either has to be broken or crushed. And it happens spending time in God's presence, staying dependent upon him. Almost done. Why do you need to do it? So that you can maintain intimacy with him. And that's what this is all about. You know, we're not believing, we're not believing clever fables, the scripture says. This is reality. 
there was a man named Jesus Christ. And I'm going to talk about this. David and Pastor Sean can jump on me later. But nevertheless, I'm going to throw it out there. I love this part. We trust in God. And God is so real. I believe now that in science, revival will happen. I think it's going to happen. But before that, the scriptures clearly convey our God is good, unique, loving, merciful. But the world is trying to teach you everything opposed to what the scriptures reveal about God. But this is something I love about God. The scripture says God is uncomely. You know what that means? Ugly. The Bible says there's nothing about Jesus that we would have liked or we desired. During Jesus' time on the earth, people looked at him and they're like, Tough. You're the Messiah? You? I mean, I mean, really? There was nothing about Jesus externally that, that drew us to him. And then, the Bible says he was put on a cross and he was marred, he was beaten. The Bible says it's even hard to recognize him as a man. And when he was resurrected, he still had marks of being beaten, of being crucified. I don't think when Jesus comes back, he's going to be Adonis. I don't know who's an attractive guy. I said Adonis, because usually that's what people say when you talk about attractive. Narcissus, Brad Pitt, I don't know, Denzel? I'll throw any, who, snow me somebody, Brett Favre, somebody? No, that was the wrong one. <laughs> I don't think Jesus is going to be like a supermodel. He's not going to be like Leonidas. He's not going to be like Wayne Wallace. Shaka Zulu. He's not going to be like John Wayne. The Bible says he was a slain lamb before the foundation of the world. When you see him, you're, you're going to be like... something in your heart going to be like, yes. Yes, yes. God doesn't care about that outward appearance. It's the heart. So many times we mistake Jesus, just like the disciples did, for this warrior, general king. He was a man on earth who was completely submitted to God's will. And he showed us how to do it, to trust him. And he remained faithful all the way to the cross, to death. And we look at him, we should be amazed and marveled. Why? He's just really that good. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to fail, you're going to stumble, you're going to fumble, you're going to fall. But the scripture says Jesus is lowly and humble. It's okay. Come to the Lord. This is the Endurance Church Podcast with Pastor Anthony Bass. At Endurance Church, our goal is to live well and finish strong by becoming faithful disciples of Christ. 
We do this through loving, disciplined, Bible-based teaching, encouragement, and care. For more information about our ministry, head to endurancechurch.org. And now, today's message. 